Welcome back to Beyond Well. This is a program for people who want to learn more about our interior lives. And every week we tackle another topic that helps add to our mental health toolbox. And recently we partnered with TMS Active Recovery to make sure that you or anyone you know who might be experiencing treatment resistant depression know that there is an FDA approved non-pharmaceutical option for treatment that is covered by most insurances. TMS is short for transcranial magnetic stimulation, and it's helpful for people whose antidepressants have stopped working or those whose side effects from pharmaceutical drugs are just too tough to be able to take medication. TMS therapy is covered by most insurance plans and with multiple locations in Oregon and Washington. Learn more at activerecoverytms.com. to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton, and this is a program for people who want to find out more about our interior lives. Over the course of the last three years, we have done so many episodes on so many different types of conditions and ways to live better, but there is always one topic that really gets a lot of participation, and that's bipolar disorder. Bipolar disorder, also sometimes called manic depression, is a disorder that's associated with episodes of mood swings, ranging from depressive lows to manic highs. And we have today with us Dr. Y. Pritham Raj to talk about bipolar depression. Hi, Dr. Raj. It's so good to see you. Good to see you, Sheila. So I, I have often heard this, especially from people with bipolar, that they avoid treatment when they're in a manic phase because of the lovely energy and the excess feeling that they have in their body, and that they only really sought out care when they finally hit a bipolar depression. Why is that? In most cases, I think people love the elevated mood. The hypomania or mania sometimes brings mania, not so much because it's too much of a good thing, if you will, but hypomania often feels really good. In fact, we don't have any medications approved by the FDA for hypomania, simply, I think, because it's such a hard place to study people, to catch them while they're hypomanic. And so would you describe the difference between bipolar one and bipolar two and what that means for people when they receive the different diagnosis? Sure. So bipolar one simply means at one point in your life, at any point in your life, you hit full blown mania. And we have diagnostic criteria that go along with that. And and if you've ever hit, like, for example, I, I usually tell the story of one of my patients who very high functioning author who jumped into an open door of a police car and took off with the police car. I didn't need to wait for seven days of symptoms, which is the diagnostic criteria for mania, to know that was manic behavior and brought him to the hospital. So anything that requires hospitalization typically is where you've met the threshold for mania. And that will always be bipolar one disorder. Even if every other episode is depression, if you've hit that level of mania, like I just described, somebody who steals a police car or another patient of mine was removed from a Costco for for climbing up the stacks in the store. And we pulled him down and, and hospitalized him and forever he will have bipolar one disorder attached to him. Now, bipolar two disorder tends to be mostly depression. 
39 times out of 40 that a patient experiences symptoms, usually depression, one out of 40 being hypomania, which is a mood elevation that doesn't quite get to the level of full-blown mania, but still an elevated mood, if you will. It, that's so interesting. So you just explained to me the reason that so many people get misdiagnosed, because if you have bipolar two, you might never have experienced a lot of the kind of grandiosity or the excessive energy or the weird ideas that people uh, associate with mania. How tricky is it, Dr. Raj, to really determine if the person is depressed or depressed with bipolar disorder? Oh, my goodness, Sheila. I mean, that is one of the most difficult diagnoses in all of psychiatry to make is bipolar 2 disorder. It looks just like depression, but every so often you'll get this mood elevation. And those are the patients typically that we see, Sheila, who fail medications. There are people who have failed multiple antidepressants because what you're dealing with is not depression, it's actually bipolar disorder. I've also just heard, and this is what happened to me personally, is that a person with bipolar will respond very paradoxically to antidepressants, that it can be quite dangerous. And so describe what happens in the chemistry of a person with bipolar disorder versus a person who's truly depressed on antidepressants. Well, that's a tough question to answer because, you know, if I knew the answer to that, I'd probably have a Nobel Prize on my desk uh, because mechanistically, you know, it's really, really tough. We have a lot of scientific evidence of things, but both disorders, for example, depression as well as bipolar disorder, if left untreated, will lead to brain atrophy. We see that time and time again so that we take pictures of people's brains, either with MRI technology um, or PET scan images, and just show volume losses and diminished activity with both conditions, uh, particularly in the depressed state. Because remember, these are disorders that are largely depression-based, and that's when patients come in seeking care. But we do know proteins are are deficient over time, which also contributes to that volume loss with, with that ongoing insult to the brain from symptoms of bipolar disorder or even depression, that ons that onslaught and, and the ongoing impact, negative impact on the proteins of the brain, the structure of the brain mm. is what is a cause for concern. Wow. So when a person's meds have stopped working. If they have had bipolar depression, are they eligible for TMS? So that's a tricky question because, yes, does TMS have FDA breakthrough therapy indication? Yes, but it's not bipolar disorder in and of itself is not FDA approved. Wow. And and that's a subtle distinction to make. So as a breakthrough therapy, TMS is there to help people who are struggling at the end of their rope. Bipolar disorder is highly associated with suicide completion, for example, Sheila. We don't want people ending their lives. We want to give them any opportunity that we have, any treatment options that we have, including TMS, including electroconvulsive therapy or ECT, any of these neuromodulation types of, of interventions. We want to think about those. Why would you suppose that the suicide rate is higher in people with bipolar depression than people with depression? What happens during those periods that is so profoundly difficult? Yeah, you know, I think what it boils down to is the delta. 
when I say delta, if you're used to low all the time, a slightly lower than low may not feel as impactful as a drop from up here down to here is much more impactful. That's why with mania in particular, you can have a range and have people go from top of the world to the lowest of the lows. And that delta, that change is what's catastrophic into someone's psyche. And that's when what leads to, I think, a higher percentage of suicide attempts and suicide completions. Just on a personal note, I can relate to that because I had my family here and everyone was around me and we were having such a wonderful time and we were all on vacation. And then everyone left and I was alone and I had all the work left. And, you know, and so it, it was the Delta that was difficult to adapt to. So I, it's a really fantastic description because I think everyone, even if you don't have a mental illness, can really relate to that. It's when you swing from the high of your high to the low of your low. So I want to talk about um, some of the other natural supports that prove really effective for people with bipolar disorder. I have heard uh, so many physicians talk about the importance of sleep, that when you begin to see sleep disturbances, you should know that this is a really big warning sign for people with bipolar disorder. So sometimes what we see is actually the HPA axis or the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis starts to have dysfunction when we're not sleeping. And so when that happens, then we start to make poor decisions, Sheila. And that it's the poor decision making that goes along with poor sleep as a result of this HPA dysfunction in the brain is or in the body is what sets us up for failure. Oh, it makes so much sense. <laughs> Here we are, those of us who are lucky enough to sleep at night, we don't even realize what a gift it is, right? Absolutely. You know, Dr. Raj, it, there's such kind of mainstream opposition to taking sleep aids, but for a person who's vulnerable for a mental illness, one would think that sleep would have to be like the first thing they do. Yeah, you know, and, and that's why so much of our energies as treating physicians is really focusing on getting people good rest, which is why some of the sedating medications to get people good night's rest is hugely restored. Yeah. And exercise I have heard for people with bipolar disorder can be incredibly effective. And I often quote the SMILE study that was done by one of my colleagues at Duke, uh, Jim Blumenthal. And SMILE was actually, it's more in depression. So on the depressive side of things where the physical activity with medication treatments, and both are actually equally effective in treating depressive symptoms. But in terms of relapse prevention, physical activity, if you're used to getting that physical activity, used to that feel-good hormone rush of the endorphins and encephalins in your brain, then that is actually protective on relapse into the Um, Has the outcomes for people with bipolar disorder improved at all because we are getting more different types of therapies? We are getting better at the pharmaceutical side of it? You know, it's, it's a tough thing because it feels like the percentages of people getting diagnosed, maybe it's more awareness. Yes. We're seeing more people diagnosed, more awareness surrounding it. So yeah. it's hard to know whether that translates into better treatment. I mean, if you look at bipolar depression, which is what you led in with discussing, 
bipolar depression, we only have a handful of medications that are FDA approved for that. So it's, it's yes and no. I mean, we're getting better at talking about it. And I think programs like this one to raise awareness is, is so important. But at the same time, if we don't have that many options to treat it, uh, that leaves us with a void. How, how, what would you say that you've learned about bipolar disorder more recently than you did, say, for instance, when you went to medical school that you think would be surprising for people to hear? Well, one of the things that the first thing that we often are taught in medical school about bipolar disorder is never use an antidepressant. Mm. Okay? We don't want to push somebody by using an antidepressant, that would be a big no-no. We often make that mistake, especially non-psychiatrist colleagues of mine. I'll see, you know, they they see a depressed patient in their office and the knee jerk is, let me give them an antidepressant. Not asking a few extra questions, which is why all my trainees, you know, we, we talk so much about how we need to ask a few more questions to screen for bipolar depression or bipolar disorder in general before we just prescribe an antidepressant. Um, The largest trial that's been done in this area looking at antidepressant use in patients with bipolar disorder was called the STEP-BD study. And the STEP-BD actually showed that medications, antidepressant medications, aren't really that helpful in treating bipolar disorder. So we really... We really need to harp on mood stabilizers, yes. mood stabilizers, mood stabilizers. And if those, if you have the Texas expert consensus guidelines say you should probably have a patient with bipolar disorder on at least two mood stabilizers if they're still symptomatic. And then you could think about an antidepressant, but at that point, I'm probably thinking about neuromodulation and things like we do with TMS or ECP and things of that nature. So let's say there's a person listening who has known that they have bipolar depression and they've really been struggling and their and their mood stabilizer isn't working, their antidepressant isn't working. Could they come to you and be in the off-label usage of TMS? Would they be eligible? It depends on the insurer. Every insurance company looks at this a little bit differently. And, and for some are purists, they'll say, you know, no, it's not FDA approved Uh, for for, for bipolar disorder or bipolar depression or any flavor. And they'll say no. But we have other insurers who say, um, uh, the patient is struggling. What else do we have to offer this person? They've tried medicine after medicine and they are, you know, seeing the wisdom of then saying, you know what, let me approve this um, with TMS. Well, hopefully in the future, we have more tools for people with bipolar depression because it is really one of the most devastating things to see someone who has been enjoying that hypomanic phase sink. A a question that I didn't get to ask about that depression is I've seen people become so depressed, they're almost unable to move physically, Dr. Raj. What is that? What happens to the brain and the body? So there are lots of linkages. If somebody gets very severely symptomatic with bipolar disorder, they have maybe uh, lots of manic symptoms. You know, we have bipolar disorder with psychotic and you can have bipolar spectrum symptoms as part of that. So all of those, and somebody is just impacted to the hilt with manic symptoms, you can easily have psychosis kind of develop from that. That is particularly devastating, not only from a safety standpoint, because patients who are seeing things and hearing things as part of their bipolar disorder, it's it's another level. That's what we want to get them hospitalized, to get them stabilized, because 
safety becomes an, an issue at that point. We have had so many people that have been interested in transcranial magnetic stimulation. Dr. Raj, I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind just going through some of the most frequently asked questions that we're getting on our social media. Okay, the number one most asked question, what does TMS treatment actually feel like? So it feels like a tapping sensation is happening through your scalp. So the scalp is where all the nerves of the face that control facial movements, etc., are all located. And in order for us to get our beam of magnetic pulse into the brain, we have to cross and encroach on the scalp. The, the skull itself has no innervation, so there is no sensation there. But it's the scalp sensation of that rapid tapping that patients have to adjust to. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes it's a, oh, that wasn't anything. I didn't feel that. Or it's, whoa, that was a little more than I anticipated. It all depends on someone's pain threshold. Okay. The second question, what happens after a TMS treatment? So after TMS treatment, we like to follow up with patients at least at the two-month mark to see if the benefit has continued. Or sometimes if someone has not even responded at the end of treatment, we still will check in because sometimes we see extra gain. We have put all this energy into the brain and sometimes we see extra gain happen at the two-month mark. And third question, how soon will I see improvement in my symptoms from TMS? That's always a tough question to answer because it's so individual. Now, the research suggests with TMS, it takes about three weeks or so for us to see the proper amount of momentum built up. And so at three weeks, four weeks, we start to see more significant improvements. So in that three to four weeks, but that being said, I was just on AM Northwest this week talking about how one of my patients within two weeks kind of skyrocketed in improvement. Wow. Um, we're always a little bit cautious. Is that some of the honeymoon effect uh, that's going on? But she did great and continued to do great after rocketing right out of the gate. And how long can people expect that TMS will continue the effects in their body? So the durability of the treatment is studied very well. By and large, we see durability of this treatment to a year and beyond. And in fact, in our own patient population, only about 70% of people are coming back for retreatment after they've benefited for the first time. That's fantastic. Is yeah. TMS the same as ECT, which is electroconvulsive therapy? No, that's an important distinction to make. TMS is not ECT. This does not involve a seizure. So seizures are what are induced when it comes to ECT. And the analogy I make with that is it's a hard reboot. If the computer system in your brain is not working, what do we do? We turn it off and on, and that's what ECT does. Whereas TMS is more an upgrade to the program. We don't do a hard reset. We're not causing seizure like ECT, but with TMS, we're stimulating the brain and upgrading the server, if you will. And can TMS patients also take antidepressants? Absolutely. In fact, if a patient especially is getting partial benefit from their antidepressant, we want to go after something called synergy. We want to add the benefit of TMS, which is a top-down improvement in the brain to the bottom-up improvement that medications do. 
So we want to augment both strategies with each other, creating synergy. And does TMS cause memory loss? Absolutely not. There have been no studies demonstrating impact to memory. In fact, it's being studied as a memory enhancer. Okay, my man. (laughs) What TMS devices do you currently use? So we use two different technologies. One is called the figure eight coil, which is by Neurostar, which was the first FDA cleared device in this country in 2008. And we also use a brainwave H1 coil, also called deep TMS, which has several other indications as well, including obsessive compulsive disorder and, and as well as smoking cessation, believe it or not. But we use both of those different technologies because they're slightly different and complementary in, in some ways. Is there any risk to retreatment? No. If someone has benefited from TMS the first round, we often use that as a great forecast for improvement that we will expect the second time around. And what's your favorite thing about TMS? Patients simply get better faster. There's no better treatment outcome than that. Dr. Raj, it is always such a pleasure to see you are amazing on on the air. You're so, so good. (laughs) Thanks for your time. And if you have any other questions about bipolar disorder, Dr. Raj has kindly agreed to come back from time to time and answer your questions. So please send them to Sheila at beyondwellmedia.com. And if you've been listening and you enjoy the podcast as much as so many of you now, 300,000 downloads, thank you. Uh, please give us a thumbs up on wherever you listen to podcasts. iTunes is usually the easiest and the best. And other than that, make it a great day. Bora Health is a nonprofit alcohol and drug treatment center in Portland, Oregon, that has been helping youth, adults, and families for nearly 50 years. They offer compassionate, comprehensive, and affordable care for everyone, regardless of background, orientation, or ability to pay. Fora recently opened a new state-of-the-art campus in Portland's Southeast Gateway District, and the entire campus is healing and supportive. You can find out more about their full array of evidence-based therapies for drug and alcohol treatment at www.forahealth.org. If you or a loved one needs support, there are many options and personalized approaches to care. Reach out to Fora Health at 503-535-1151 or see the show notes for more details.